Let's turn our Bibles to Romans, Romans 13. Uh, I'd like to look this morning at verses 8 through 14. And Paul writing here. Once again, it's a theme that he has touched on a number of times. And uh, I think there are things that are repeated in the Scripture because otherwise we would easily forget them. Uh, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind us. And I find uh, that there's certain things that he's constantly, continually reminding uh, us of. And certainly um, as we come to these verses here, Paul writing says, uh, Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, that is quarreling or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust and its desires. And Lord, we praise you today. We, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you have... Lord, uh, drawn us here, and we pray, Father, as we, Lord, open up your word and consider it, uh, that, Lord, you would speak those things, Lord, to each one of us, Lord, uh, those particular things that, Lord, uh, that you're working within our life, Lord, uh, themes, perhaps, already that you have been making known to us, and, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're so graced, so privileged, and we're so honored Lord, that you would desire to, Lord, live in us, and how we pray, Lord, that you would lead us this morning. Lead us that, Lord, we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts who would, that would be open and, and obedient, Lord, to you. And Father, I thank you for those that are here this morning, and Lord, on this beautiful day, Lord, uh, taking time to, to worship you and to making you priority, Lord, of our lives. Lord, we thank you, and Lord, you tell us that whenever it is that we do that, according to Matthew 6.33, that Lord, uh, putting you first, making you the top priority, that you'll take care of all the other things, the things that we worry about, the, the things that so often concern us. And so, Father, we commit this morning to you, and thank you for this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, uh, we have been uh, journeying here through the book of Romans, and uh, we've touched on many different topics. Uh, there have been many important issues. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we are now in the practical area 
Uh, we've looked at uh, probably pretty much up to chapters 8, a lot of doctrine, a lot of important teaching, uh, a lot of things that are very critical for us to know uh, in our understanding of the Bible. Uh, but it needs to go much more beyond that, doesn't it? We need to really be, be those who practice the Bible. We need, to, uh, you know, we need to put into practice the things that we're learning. Uh, and here, once again, as we come here to this particular section, it was only in the last chapter uh, that Paul lastly touched on it, but this will be the fifth time he brings before us the love of God. And the love of God is very important because it's important that we integrate it in every aspect you know, of our lives. Um, Jesus taught on the love of God. Paul, I think, probably most extensively taught on the love of God. And remember 1 Corinthians 13. You know, you can work miracles. You can have great faith. Uh, you can give yourself your body uh, in an in a act of martyrdom. But if you don't have love, what benefit is it? And so Paul keeps bringing us back to this important theme, theme, and that is that our Bible teaching, our understanding of the Bible, it's integrated. It's integrated with the love of God. And again, the love of God is different. You know, it's not some warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, it's a sacrificial thing. Uh, we, we see it in the life of Jesus. He pours out. I think the greatest act of love is the cross, isn't it? Where, where God comes in the person of his son, uh, and he pours out uh, his, his life, um, basically uh, becoming our substitute, taking our judgment. And again, here, regarding the love of God, I think oftentimes uh, where we make a mistake is that we... Um, well, it's easy to love one another. You know, as we get together, we fellowship, we hang out, we got our inner circle, we have our family, that sort of thing. We love them. Uh, but, but loving those outside, that's the challenge, isn't it? And particularly uh, for those that we feel that don't deserve it. Uh, and it, it's not a matter of, you know, who deserves, you know, the love of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God. Uh, I think sometimes we may just, we would cut people off maybe perhaps, uh, when it comes to this whole matter of who deserves it and who doesn't. Uh, but we find so often the love of God, because remember in uh, Romans 5, verse 5, we find uh, there Paul telling us that the Holy Spirit is shed abroad or he's poured out in our lives. And the thing is, a lot of times we try to control it, who we're going to love. But we find the Holy Spirit pouring out his love sometimes in the most unlikely situations. Because he wants to love people through us, not just because we like them, uh, they're our friends, uh, or again, they're well-deserving, you know, of our love, our affection. No, uh, we may find the Holy Spirit just sort of prompting us and wanting to pour his love out in the most unlikely situations. And you know what? You need to let go. You need to allow him to do that. Uh, that's how I think one of the ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We kind of hold back our affections. Uh, what does John say over there uh, in his, one of his epistles? Uh, how can you say the love of God uh, dwells within your heart? You know, when you hold back your affections, when you hold back, you know, when you don't you know, minister in a very practical kind of way. And so here we are in the, in the, in the, in the, in the part of the, the book here that has to do with practice, and yet he's bringing us back to this, you know, this important theme that needs to be, you know, uh, basically it undergirds, it's the foundation for all that we do believe, and that is simply uh, the love of God. Now, we entitled it One Debt That We Can Live With. And I don't know if you've ever had a large debt looming over your head, a nagging kind of a thing that you just couldn't pay. Um, you know, sometimes if you only pay, like say, for instance, you take out a credit card and you buy, you, you know, you spend thousands of dollars on that credit card 
And if you only pay monthly what they, the minimum, it will take you something like 25 years to pay that debt off. I don't know if you've ever had a credit card like that, but when you figure out, you know, with a large debt, uh, and if you only pay that bare minimum, you're never going to pay that thing off. And they like that kind of a thing because you're just basically covering your interest every month. Uh, but here we have, you know, in these verses here, we have a debt that we can live with. And as a matter of fact, it's a blessing. Uh, when we allow the love of God uh, to be poured out through our lives, you know, to those around us, uh, God may just sort of put you in a circumstance or a situation. And again, we like loving people that love us back. We like reciprocation. Uh, but so often he puts us around sandpaper people. He puts us around people that are very difficult and cranky uh, to live with, uh, particularly if in the workaday world. Uh, we, can't, we, we don't get to pick and choose who we can work with. We don't get to pick and choose who our managers are, um, who our neighbors are. We don't oftentimes get to pick that either. Uh, but we find that uh, God puts us in situations where people uh, may not like us, um, it may not even not, they may not like us for really any good reason. Uh, and yet God wants us uh, to, again, manifest his love, his grace, and who he is through basically, I think, you know, reaching out in a sacrificial, kind, gracious way uh, to witness to them of the love of Christ. And so uh, now as we come here to verse 8, uh, he, again, he introduces us to a blessing uh, to, a, to a, a debt, that is, rather, that is a blessing uh, that comes through our life through the grace of the Holy Spirit. And again, too, uh, I think uh, we, we can short-circuit what God wants to do when we measure what He wants us to do by our own ability. Uh, it's not so much predicated upon our ability. I think so often we get involved in service and ministry and doing things for the Lord because we feel, because you go to school and you specialize for things. So you feel sort of capable, I can do this. Have you ever found yourself saying, I could do this, you know, uh, type of a thing. But you come to find out, oftentimes the Lord prompts us to do things that we feel totally, absolutely incapable and, and, and basically, you know, unequipped to, to fulfill that responsibility. But here's what happens is when we yield ourselves to the Lord and we obey that prompting, uh, and it, it's not predicated upon, it's never predicated upon our ability. Because when, it, when we think it's predicated upon our ability, you know, we're going to get all puffed up and we're going to think, you know, I can do this, this is no problem kind of a thing. But so often we find a sense of inadequacy, um, a sense of, you know, I can't do this. But as we obey the Spirit of God, and that's why it's by faith and not by feelings. As we say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. Um, uh, you know, I think sometimes uh, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, apologizing to somebody, saying you're sorry. That's a difficult thing, isn't it? You ever, you ever felt the Lord prompting you to say you're sorry, to apologize to somebody when you felt it was their fault? <laughs> that, that's not an easy thing to do. But if the Lord wants you to do it, if he wants me to do it, man, you got to do it. Uh, and those things, and, and you know, when the Lord leads us to do something, and again, particularly within the, the context here of love, that he will, it has to operate by faith. What's it? Uh, Galatians 5, 6, I think it is. It says faith, you know, uh, faith operates through love and love operates through faith. And if we're going to love and let the love of Christ, you know, come through us, the only way that it's going to happen is not by feelings. Well, I think, you know, I, I like to think, um, you know, like uh, I, I always wish that, uh, the love of God would fill my heart like a reservoir. And, and then when I have a need, I just turn a spigot on. 
and then the love of God would just come out and take care of the problem uh, type of thing. But it's not. It's, you know, the Holy Spirit, and it says in Romans 5.5, 5, will basically be poured out. It'll, it will be shed abroad when we need it. And, it. and the only way that's going to happen is when we believe God and trust Him by faith and we step out and we find, man, there it was. I couldn't believe it. I, I just felt so inadequate. But then I decided I was going to just obey the Lord and then it came. The love of God came or the faith came or whatever it was that we needed. Uh, the ability came. And again, it's not about our ability. It's about our availability. When you and I are available to the Spirit of God to use us, that's all He wants. And He'll come through. He just wants us to trust Him and be careful that, again, you don't predicate it on a sense of your inability, uh, your lack thereof. Uh, it, you'll never do anything for God if you, if you predicate it and base it upon that. Uh, we base it upon Him and what He can do. And He just says to you and me, oh, you operate by faith. You, you, just, you, know, you just do what I want you to do. Say He's calling you to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, Lord, I don't, <laughs> I'm not really good with kids. Um, I really don't know how to teach the Bible. But yet you feel the Lord, you know, just sort of pressing it upon your heart to do something like that or maybe uh, lead a prayer meeting or leave a Bible study group or something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, that uh, you're, you're faced with this, this opportunity, uh, and, but you're, you feel inadequate. Uh, I remember many years ago uh, assimilating into ministry. I was a young pastor, and uh, I went into the office of the senior pastor, and I said, Pastor Bill, I want to tell you this. I just feel absolutely inadequate and insufficient uh, for, this, for this post. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, good. And, uh, and it was something that he knew I needed to learn uh, if I was going to really ever do anything in ministry that it wasn't predicated upon my ability. Um, and so I pass that on to you. That's very important. Uh, and particularly in this area of love because we, we struggle with this area of love, of just loving people as we love ourselves. Uh, again, we have our circles. Uh, we have our friends. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very easy to love one another, but it's loving those sandpaper people, um, those people that give us friction and difficulty. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the acid test, and that's where Christ wants us to love people. Uh, Jesus, you know, he used that example. Sinners love sinners. Uh, that's an easy thing to do. Anybody can do that. But really loving the unlovable people, loving those that God puts before us, uh, that's, when the, that's when we're really going to be blessed, and that's, when we're gonna, that's where we're going to see the miracle take place. We're going to see God work uh, when we do that. So, owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves has, another has fulfilled the law. Again, the, we, the world so often says they love you, but, they, but it's always verbiage, isn't it? It's, it's never really backed up in a practical way. Um, you know, sometimes people say they love us, but then turn around, they stab you in the back. Uh, has there ever been anybody in your life said they really loved you and you couldn't understand why they betrayed you? Uh, that's, that's so often, you know, that we find that version of love, you know, in the world and in our culture. Uh, love in word, but not in deed. But you see, the love of God stands apart because the love of God, it cares for others, it shares with others, and if need be, it will die for others. Uh, how do you think somebody goes to a stake? How do you think somebody dies in a martyrdom situation? Uh, they didn't plan that. Uh, oftentimes when those kind of things happen, they come upon somebody in a very quick way. Uh, and it's only the grace of God. Uh, Corey Tenboom uh, one time asked her father, uh, and of course their faith would be greatly tested because 
uh, her father and her sister would both die in a concentration camp uh, later. And so uh, uh, speaking of difficulties, Corey said to her, her father, Papa Tenboom, um, about, you know, how is it that, you know, people have to go through tremendous trials of their faith and they have the grace to go through it? He said, well, you know, Corey, it's like this. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, a, it's like getting a train. You don't get the ticket until you're ready to get on the train. Uh, and it's true, it's true for you and I as well. We will get that measure of whatever it is that we need at the moment we need it. He just wants us simply what? To trust him and to look to him to do that which we cannot uh, simply do. Uh, and again, what's interesting here, what he says in verse 8, he's going to back it up again, and he has said it before, is that when we love, it's actually the fulfillment of the entire system of laws. And of course, we know how uh, the Jewish nation, and we wouldn't have been any different if we lived in that particular dispensation or that time frame. They, they failed they, were, they, did, they simply did not have the ability to fulfill that 613 laws. We know the Pharisees, they went nuts uh, trying to keep all those particular laws. But here's something interesting, because the Spirit of God is in us. And the love of God, as we're told in Romans 5.5, 5, is poured out in our hearts. That He enables us to fulfill the entire law. By the love of God. And that's the beautiful thing about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. And I'll tell you what, you need to be filled. That's what Paul said over in Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's verse 20. He said we need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God or else, you know what, we're not going to be able to fulfill the mandate to which we're called. We're, we're called to, to you know, love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to lay down our lives uh, for Jesus and also for one another. And there's no way that we can do that. We're basically selfish creatures, and it's only by the grace of God, and, and again, our relying upon Him and looking to Him. Again, so, you know, when it comes to faith or love or those kind of things, I would just love a big reservoir to fill me up, and whenever the need would come, I'd just sort of turn the spigot. Oh, yeah, takes care of it. But no, we have to trust Him moment by moment, hour by hour, for whatever the particular need may be, and particularly, again, in this whole area of love. <clears throat> now we're given here five of the Ten Commandments. The five commandments here Paul highlights are, are basically those that have to do with interpersonal relationships. Not so much our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. You know, if you were to ask somebody, well, what about the Ten Commandments? Uh, people might say, well, you know what? They're kind of archaic. We kind of think they're a little bit obsolete. Uh, they're not really at all practical for today. And Paul is going to show us basically what God intended, how practical the commandments of God are. Now look at verse 9. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery. And what he's simply saying here, uh, it, it, here's how practical God's word is. He's basically saying don't exploit other people sexually. As we see taking place within our culture. People doing that you know, in the name of basically self-gratification, taking advantage of people. And it's not love at all, is it? It's lust. It's lust covered over with the veneer, the verbiage veneer of love. You know, so often a person will say, well, I love you, and at the same time take advantage and exploit somebody. We see that. That happens in youth culture all the time. That's why so often we want to we teach our daughters uh, to not be deceived by some 
you know, young guy that comes along and starts whispering how much he loves her in her ear and takes advantage of her, you know, sexually and physically and leaves her with a child and he simply walks away. We see so much of that going on within our culture. And so again, when you look at God's, God's you know, truth and God's laws, they're so practical. They're incredibly practical. And you will find the Holy Spirit in your life and my life living these things out. And it's not like we're, we're, we're running around sweating, you know, wrenching our hands, trying to adhere to the Ten Commandments. No. It's just God's Spirit within us, you know, working out. And, and, and the, the funny thing is, the interesting thing is, is we find ourselves, not that we're intentionally even trying to do it, we find our lives complying. We find our lives complying to the Word of God, to the truth of God, to the commandments of God. And for us, interestingly, they're encapsulated in this whole, this whole concept of the love of God at work within our hearts. So he says here, you shall not commit murder. In other words, love isn't violent. Love doesn't harm people. You know, again, people write off uh, the Bible because, well, it's obsolete. It's not practical for today. Man, it's so incredibly practical. I was, we were, Mark and I were watching a special. And, uh, you know, you speak about violence. Um, we see so much of don't, don't we out in our culture? Man, it's just, it's, it's like we're becoming uh, a, a culture of violence and death, you know, out there in our society. And uh, we don't know when the next guy is going to flip out, you know, with a weapon uh, and go berserk and kill a bunch of innocent people or go to a school. I was watching a special uh, with Margie about a young boy, uh, like seven or eight years old, just a little guy, um, his, parent, his mother never let him go to the school bus except this one day. This one day she's going to let him go to the school bus. And uh, it's in New York City, somewhere down in Manhattan. And uh, he walks to the school bus, which is roughly about two blocks away. It's right outside of his store. There's some guy working in this store. And, uh, and as you, you know, it's one of those situations where the sidewalk, there's a cellar a cellar opening there right on the sidewalk down into the, into the basement there. And he pops up and he sees a kid. And he says, hey, you want a free soda? And he lures the kid down the basement. No sooner does he get him in the basement, he says he chokes him. And it was an unsolved, it was an unsolved crime for like 30-some years. And when they finally got the guy, he just totally confessed because he had, he had been confessing it to people, and that's how they found out it was. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that interesting how, you know, within the psyche, within the spirit of man, we can't contain, you know, the Bible says our sin will find us out. And so he finally confessed it, and he said, you know, I can't, I don't understand why I did it. He said, I just took this cute little boy downstairs, and as soon as I got him downstairs, I choked him to death and threw him in a box and threw the box out in the, in the, in the, uh, the dumpster in the trash. And, and it's like, you, you look at this stuff, you, you watch some of these murder mysteries on TV, and you see the twistedness in what sin does to people. And that's why I think it's very important that you and I, we need to make a difference. You know, isn't it interesting? The more, the more that the church and the work of God shrinks in its impact and its effect, the more the craziness and the bizarreness and the violence and everything else comes out. And that's why you and I, just little old you and me, we can make a difference. We can make a difference by, and you know what? The thing about love is, here's the thing about love, and that's why a lot of times we don't do it. Love is vulnerable. 
And a lot of times, you know, we may say, well, you know what? I don't want to become a doormat. I don't want somebody taking advantage of me. I don't want someone exploiting me. Well, you know what? They put our Savior on a cross. And you know what? You may get taken advantage of. But on the other hand, you know what? When you, when you and I, for Jesus Christ, love people with the love of Christ, you're going to be blessed. Your life is going to be enriched. So I think we need to forget about getting hurt. We may get hurt. Yeah, someone may take advantage of me. But if the, if the Holy Spirit's leading us, yeah, you're going to be vulnerable. But the Lord says, I'll be with you. I'll bless you. And to be a vessel for God, you know what? You've got to take a chance. You've got to allow yourself to be, to be vulnerable. You, 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 might, you might get hurt. You know, even in human relationships, to love somebody else and to tell you love, there's a risk in that. There's a risk. There's a risk that that person is going to maybe take advantage of you. They're going to, they're going to maybe uh, exploit your love. They can may cheat on you. There, there's a risk. There's a risk in any time that you and I are going to allow the goodness of God, whether it's in a personal relationship or a relationship with anybody else out there, there's going to be a certain amount of risk in that. And I'm not talking about foolish risk, but I'm simply talking about trusting the Lord that when He puts the love of God within our hearts, John talks about it over in his little epistle. He says, how can you say the love of God dwells in you when you see somebody that has a great need in their life and, and, and we've got resources? That, that's one of the ways that the love of God will seek, to be ex, will seek to be expressed, you know, through our lives. Look what he says here. You shall not. Love doesn't bear fault. Love doesn't lie. Love doesn't cover up. Love is not deceptive. He says you shall not covet. Um, or you shall not steal. I'm sorry I jumped over one there. And, and again, love doesn't steal. It doesn't rip people off. It doesn't take advantage of people. We see that out there in our culture. We see it in the business world. We see corporations selling things when they know they shouldn't be selling things. We see drug corporations jacking up their prices on some of, the, some of these, these um, generic drugs. You know what? A thousand percent. That's something that's been in the news recently. Well, it shows you, man, you even need, you need a Christian ethic no matter where you are, no matter what you do. And I'll tell you what, your life is going to shine for Jesus. Again, if we allow the love of God and the grace of God to be at work at us out there in the business world, out there in the corporate world, out there in the workaday world. Because every, a lot of folks out there, not everybody, but a lot of folks out there are out there for themselves. They don't care, man. They'll, they'll take advantage of you in any, any, any kind of any way possible. But when you and I shine for Jesus Christ, it makes a difference. And people see it. People notice it. He says, uh, and if there's any other commandment, it is all summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, that is, what is interesting here is a presupposition, right? Yeah, we're to love our neighbor. How much? Well, as much as I love myself. Do you know the Bible never tells you to love yourself? Because he knows we do. We do. Man, we love ourselves, man, intently. 
I mean, just think how much time we spend in front of a mirror, <laughs> you know. And the Bible doesn't tell us uh, that you need to esteem yourself. You know that? But the Bible does tell us to esteem others better than ourselves. The, the, the world tells us that. Psychology tells us that. Well, you need, you need self-esteem. You know what happens is when you and I are right with Jesus Christ, you're going to have a sense of worth, you know what? That's, that's incredible. Because you're going to know the love of God. You're going to know He loves you. That, that you know, what He's done for us. I think a lot, there's a lot of people running around, uh, you know, in our, in our society, in our culture. You know, it's, it's sad because even today there's so much confusion that children, little children, don't know what their gender is. And that kind of emotional confusion and gender confusion comes from moral confusion. When, you, when, a, when a culture moves away from Christ, when a family moves away from Christ, and that's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Remember this, we've got the, one of the greatest weapons to defeat what's going on out there in our culture and society by the word of God. And that's why we need to speak the truth into situations. I was thinking about this week, isn't it, uh, in Canada, there's, a law, there's laws now in certain provinces in Canada that if you have a child that's a transgender child, that as a parent, you can't tell them that that's wrong. As a parent, you can't encourage them to, take, to, to go into therapy because you have broken the law as a parent. And let me tell you what, it's coming here. It's coming here. And again, the smaller the impact of the church and the Bible and God in a culture, everything else breaks out. Well, if I speak up, they may not love me. They don't love you anyway, okay? I need to get over it. So the answer isn't loving ourselves more, it's loving Jesus more. And he will give us the ability to love other people more. It's always putting him first and others first. Again, he, he says, I'll take care of you. The concept in America today is, number one, take care of yourself. That's not a biblical concept. You prioritize your life with him. You serve others. Uh, there used to be, there was a, the, the word joy years ago. It was a bumper sticker. It was an acronym. Joy was used as an acronym. Jesus, others, you. And that's, that's really the way it works. It's kind of simple, isn't it? You put Jesus first. You put others first. And you know what? He's going to take care of you and me. He promised he'd do that. He's faithful to his word. Now, in verse 10, he, he kind of says it again. Uh, maybe perhaps he's thinking, well, maybe they missed this. I want to underscore it again. He says, love does, not, does, does no harm, rather, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, love does not inflict, inflict any harm, intentional harm to another person. But again, if we love as Jesus loved, 
you know, in different ways, that may be painful. It's painful sometimes. Again, to make yourself vulnerable to love the way Jesus loved. Isn't it painful as a parent uh, when you have to correct your child? You have to spank them. You have to correct them. You have to deal with those kind of difficult things. Isn't it painful sometimes when you have to confront somebody, somebody that you know, somebody that you love? You have to confront them with truth because the Lord's telling you to do that. And I said, that can be a very painful thing. Sometimes the love of God is like that. It's not, again, it's not some big, warm, fuzzy emotion. What's the scripture say there? I think in Psalm, one of the Psalms anyway. Um, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. We may have to confront somebody with truth because we love them. And, and not being necessarily harsh or, or confrontational, but speaking the truth in love. We may wound them. And that's why sometimes we don't do that, right? Sometimes we don't want to say that to somebody because we know it might hurt them or wound them or, or wound the relationship. And so to love in that kind of way, sometimes it can be a risky kind of a thing. But God will honor it. So love does uh, no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, the love of Christ has been the, the very thing that has changed the course of history. Because when the love of Christ changes a heart and changes a life, he, it changes things. It, cha- it affects other people around them. And you get enough people in one location. It impacts a community. You get enough communities where the impact of Jesus Christ is at work there. It changes the course of, of, of history. It affects an entire nation. There was a pastor um, who was the head of the Lutheran church in Germany, Martin Niemöller. He uh, had a number of opportunities to speak face-to-face with Adolf Hitler. And finally, at one point, because he stood against Hitler, uh, he was incarcerated. And uh, one author uh, shares this little piece about uh, Niemöller. And uh, again, the, the, the impact of, you never know the impact of one life. If anything, the Bible underscores the importance of one life that is committed to to God, that what it can do. Martin Niemöller was a leading pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Germany during World War II. A leading opponent of Hitler's militarism and hatred of the Jews, Niemöller courageously opposed the Nazis until his arrest by the Gestapo in 1937. And for eight long years, he was imprisoned in concentration camps. As the war was ending, the Nazis slaughtered hundreds of inmates in the concentration camps, uh, trying to leave no witnesses of their atrocities. And and, and Niemöller was one of the few who had escaped execution. Uh, Niemöller died in 1984 at the age of 92. And shortly before his death, he told some of his friends of a disturbing, reoccurring dream that he had had. 
And in this dream, it was the day of God's judgment of humanity, and Nemoer saw Adolf Hitler standing before uh, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus came down from off his throne, and he put his arm around Hitler, and he said, Adolf, why? Why did you do so much evil? Why were you so cruel? And in the dream, Hitler hung his head sadly and said, because no one ever told me how much you loved me. You know, when I read that up to that point, not finished with it yet, it reminded me, and I've often thought about this, that when people will stand before the Lord Jesus for their final judgment, they will sense the love of God in such an incredible way. And I think that will be one of the horrible things that will take place in a person's life, having just for those few moments tasted the incredible love of Jesus Christ, realizing here was the God of love. And for those few moments, they will sense and taste the love that they've never tasted. And to know that they will go into an eternity without that, I think that alone would be hell. So in the dream, Hitler hung his head sadly and said, because no one ever told me how much you love me. Nehemiah said that at this point in the dream, that he would awaken in a cold sweat, shaking with guilt and grief. Why did he feel guilty? Because he remembered that in the years before the war began, he had numerous meetings with Adolf Hitler. And in his role as the leader of the Lutheran Church, Niemöller had sat across a table from Hitler and had spoken with him face to face, not once, but many times. And in all those meetings, Niemöller recalled he had never once said, Jesus loves you, Herr Hitler. He loves you so much that he came and died for you. And Martin Niemöller couldn't help wondering how the world might have been changed, how history might have been rewritten if he had dared to obediently express the agape love of Jesus to a man named Adolf Hitler. Well, you know, that's never probably going to be our test. Not that big. But I still think, nevertheless, we have opportunities to impact someone's life. You know, I think that, I think there's so many people, they're grasping and groping through, through life, uh, relationships. And I think the way God's created us is that he's created us for the love of Christ, to, to be the recipients, to, to, be, to, be, to be the receptacles, to be the conduits for the love of God. And, and I think we need to remember that because as I read that about Nemo, man, it just kind of is like, wow, the, the impact of one witness. Would Hitler ever respond? Maybe not. But I think God was speaking to, to Nemo about the importance of when we have an opportunity to, to speak the love of God, the truth of God to people that are empty. People that have no future because there is no future without our Savior, without a relationship with Christ. Now looking at verse 11, he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I'm trying to kill a bug here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where'd you come from, you little rascal? 
and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Have you ever traveled at night? Sometimes there could be a great danger. I remember back in 2000, we were going out to California to pick up our girls from Bible school. And we drove from Rochester to Albuquerque straight through. 28 hours. And I look back now and said, what, were you crazy to do that? Um, and I remember, you know, Margie and I were tag teaming. You know, I'd go in the back of the van and lay down uh, to take a, you know, a little power nap, and she would drive for a while. And then on the, on, the, on the leg back, the northern leg back, we went the southern route, and on the northern leg back, uh, we, we, we drove from Oregon uh, to, um, uh, let's see, where was that? Uh, Yellowstone National Park, 17 hours straight. And I can remember just absolutely being so tired. And you know what? It's dangerous. Whenever you, whenever you drive, when you're extremely tired, and I think he's giving us a warning here. It's a warning. Uh, it's basically it's a wake-up call. Now, given the time, Jesus Christ can return at any moment. Would you be ready if he came? If he came tomorrow? If we had a date and he was coming, you know, next week, Next Saturday, we won't be meeting next Sunday, and next Saturday the Lord is coming, and so uh, wouldn't it be nice if you able to sort of tie everything up, all the loose ends, and be ready for that? But you know what? Uh, he wants us to live as if he's coming at any particular time. And Paul says, high time. Now, he says, he, he mentions this uh, two times here. Knowing the time, it is, uh, that now it is high time, for now our salvation is, is, is nearer than when we first believed. You know, it's interesting when you look at, uh, so, excuse me, uh, Matthew 25. It's basically the story, Jesus telling a story there in a parable form of the sleeping saints. Remember, there are ten virgins. And uh, uh, five, you know, five, it's interesting, they all slumbered and slept and the Lord came. And uh, five of them had oil and five of them didn't have oil. And Jesus would say to them, uh, after he came, uh, and the, the initial five went to be with him, uh, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered to them, and he said, surely I say to you, I know you not. And I think the question is, when I think about, uh, and, and, and when he speaks about those ten virgins, he's speaking about all of Christianity. He's speaking about all of Christianity. Everybody that professes the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, only each one of us can answer that. What group are you in? Are you in the group that goes? See, it's only, only as the Holy Spirit comes into your life. I know he will never say that to me because I've known him. I have fellowshiped with him. I've experienced him now for some 40 years. How do you answer that question? Are you one of those five virgins that, that have the oil, that have the Holy Spirit? You need to make that decision. If you, if you haven't made that decision already, it's the most important question in all of life. You know, do, you, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? One of the guys was crying in prayer yesterday. And uh, it was beautiful because he couldn't kind of contain himself because he was teaching a Sunday school class. And he said to the kids, he said, you know what, kids? Coming to church with your parents is not going to save you. You have to have a personal relationship. And three of the kids said, 
really? They, they, they were just, they, you know, they just thought that since they came to church, you know, they, <laughs> their family had membership here, you know, they were a shoe into heaven kind of a thing. And it was interesting that these kids, like many kids, Christian kids, they don't realize that they need to have a personal, vital, living relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can get into the coattails of their parents' faith. <laughs> he goes on here, spiritually speaking, uh, in verse 12, the time, that the time is short. The night is far spent. The day, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So he says, basically, there are two things that we need to do. And the first one, we're going to put them in a real common vernacular. We have to take out the garbage and get rid of the stuff that's stinking up our life. Cast off the works of darkness. If there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing to him, we need to take it out. Get rid of it. And I think the only reason sometimes people hold on to things because these things get a power in our life. There's habits that we can have. There's addictions that we can have. You may be sitting there thinking, oh, I have no addiction. Okay, turn your cell phone in uh, to the front office and see how you live without it for the next week. <laughs> I think we would all probably respond in that kind of way. But do we have anything in our life that may be keeping us at a distance to Jesus. Second thing is, is get God and the things of God back in your life. You know, to do, tell him you need him. I love those, those songs that we sing. The old hymn is, I need thee every hour. There's a, there's a newer one. I don't know who the author is, but um, we need him. And you know what? You need to tell him you need him. You need to express that. We need to have these moments with God where we cry out to him. I just love it in our prayer meetings. I'm not a cry. I never cried in our prayer meetings, uh, only at home. <laughs> but I love it when the guys cry. And in every prayer meeting we seem to have, there's going to be a crier there. And, and you know what? It, it's sweet. There's some guys that can't even pray without crying. I, you know, they're really softies. They've really got soft hearts. And, and I tell you what, it, you know, when you're in a meeting like that, you're in a prayer meeting and it's, everybody's eyes are closed and your hearts are open before the Lord and somebody starts really crying out to the Lord, it's precious. It's like you feel like you're on holy ground. He wants us to do that. He wants us to cry out to him. We need him. He's, he speaks about the, this armor of light. You know, we seldom remember and uh, we often forget that we are in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war zone. I was reminded of it this week as there was this commemoration of D-Day 70 years, 75 years ago. And they only celebrated every five years. But maybe because of my military background, I've, and of course I wasn't there, I wasn't even born yet, but I've never forgotten June 6th. Every time that's come around, I've thought about that. I thought about those, those, you know, it's interesting, these young guys, many of them out of high school, some of them never had a girlfriend, 
Many of them, never, they'll never be married. They'll never have a career. They'll never buy a house. They'll never have a family or children. And they gave their life up. I was just thinking about, you know, the freedoms that, that we enjoy, you know, as, as Americans. Uh, and many people won't even give that day a second thought. Well, here's a, a, here's a testimony of a Christian who was there. His name was John Burkhalter. And he suffered with his men on Omaha Beach. He saw landing craft obliterated by direct hits, countless men cut down as they tried to reach the shore. He saw wave after wave pile up on the beach, unable to advance. Every advantage seemed to be with the enemy, and every disadvantage seemed to be with us. Through it all, he prayed earnestly with faith that only God could see anyone safely through such a nightmare. In retrospect, he was certain that he would never forget those moments. He, never, he knew that during the ordeal, he had drawn very close to God. And in a letter to his wife, he explains, quote, Nobody can love God better than when he is looking death square in the face and talks to God and then sees God come to the rescue. As I look back through those hectic days just gone by, to that hellish beach, I will agree with Ernie Pyle who said, it was a pure miracle that we ever took the beach at all. Yes, there were a lot of miracles on the beach that day. God was on the beach that D-Day. I know he was because I was talking to him. And as I was thinking about, again, this commemoration of this horrific time uh, that our nation went through, not sure you know, what the outcome uh, would be, you know, I'm reminded of the spiritual warfare that you and I are in. Many years ago, I forget who the author was. It was Tozer. He said, playground or battleground. We are a, we are a entertainment culture. And I realize I'm guilty of it myself. Every time when I go home and I, after I go home and after I have dinner, I'm ready to sit down in front of the TV. But dear friends, look at, the, look at the battleground around us. Look at the wreckage. Look at the lives. Stan was just telling me uh, before the service about somebody who just went to visit their family in a city um, down in uh, Albuquerque, actually. And they met a young man, a relative, 28 years old, had his whole life ahead of him. Just died last week from opioid overdose. A lot of wreckage out there as it touched your family in. As it touched your neighbors, anybody you know. You know what? That's why I want you to read that little piece on D-Day that was the insert because it talks about why there was a victory on, on D-Day. And it's because of prayer. It's because of prayer. We need to be a people who are praying and in tune with the heart of God because you know what? We're in a battleground. The closer we get to the, to the Lord's coming, Satan is working all the more. 
need to put on the armor of light. And then finally he says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy. These are the things that basically destroy many a life. They ruin the testimony of people that even know Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. In other words, we need to be clothed in him. We need to be covered. Um, you know, we dress up for many different, dress up and down for different occasions. Uh, Margie had me out uh, uh, working in the yard Friday. Uh, I, I was the coolie. I was the coolie all day long. I must have changed three different times because I would get dirty and muddy and sweaty and all that sort of thing. And, um, and I basically, we, we, again, we dress up or we dress down for many different occasions. But I want you to listen to Ray Stedman and what he says about this particular verse about putting on Christ. You know, so you say, well, how do I do that? How do I, how, sometimes you read something like that in the, in the, in the Bible and you go, uh, how do I relate to that? How do I implement that? How do I do that in my life? And I think Stedman gives us uh, a good insight on that. He says, when I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, uh, intending them to be part of me all day. I go where I go, they go where I go, and they do what I do. They cover me. They make me presentable to others. That is the purpose of clothes. And in the same way, the apostle is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning. Make him a part of your life all day long. Intend that he go with you everywhere you go and that he act through you in everything that you do. Call upon his resources. Live your life in and through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we, uh, we will leave this place in a few moments, go back to our homes, to our families, our neighbors, our lifestyle, maybe perhaps go back to a job tomorrow. And I pray, dear Father, that your grace would be at work within us and that, Lord, as we put you on, Lord, your word also tells us that you are love. And Lord, there's many things as we, Lord, go about our days and our lives. Lord, we can go out in that traffic right now on 104 in a few minutes. And we can be bugged all over again. Bugged and bothered about the way somebody's driving or not driving fast enough or whatever the case may be. Lord, we need your love. We need your love at work within our lives. And how I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to buy faith. Lord, when we're brought to an opportunity, Lord, to love in a sacrificial way, that, Lord, your faith, Lord, would be activated within our lives. And that, Lord, we will trust you and watch the love of God be poured out, Lord, into our lives, into this situation. Because, Lord, it's only you it's only you that's going to make a difference in this world. There's a lot of hatred out there, a lot of angst, a lot of viol just violence. And Lord, you send us out there. You said that you send us out as sheep among wolves. And that's a scary thought. But nevertheless, you promised that wherever we go, Lord, you will go with us. So, dear Father, I pray. 
Lord, bless your people. Hedge us about. Lord, let our lives, Lord, be a, not only a container, a conduit. A conduit, Lord, whereby the very expression of you, that you are love, Lord, would be felt. Lord, not only in us, through us, but around us. We pray and ask that, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.